You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. All right, friends, we're going to continue with our worship service now. If you can return to your seats. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, although you're not going to hear from me this afternoon. Today is our Mission Sunday here at City Church. Actually, for these first three Sundays in November, we're focusing on what it means for us to be a going church. Last week, I talked about how we are going in the Word, and today we're going to be talking about how we go in church planting. And speaking for us is a friend of mine, Phil Davis, who's a missionary in Prague in the Czech Republic. And he's been a longtime uh, church planter there and a longtime ministry partner of City Church. And as I was thinking about this afternoon, it's, uh, it's a real treat for me to introduce him to you, especially those of you who don't know Phil, maybe have never heard him speak or haven't had the chance to meet him, because I feel like I'm introducing a friend. Um, over the last uh, 12 years, we've uh, seen each other both here in Richmond and in Prague and a couple weeks ago in Berlin. And um, I'm glad to say that not only is Phil a ministry partner, but he's a good friend of mine. And I'm delighted that you'll get to hear from him today. Thank you so much, Eric. Good afternoon. It's great to be here with you guys. Man, I'm so excited, especially after hearing uh, James talk about church planting opportunities for you all. Um, I don't know about you, that got me excited. Uh, you maybe you, maybe you feel nervous about that, like what does that mean for me? Um, and what I hope to do today is look at some scripture and talk about church planting and how this is part of the, the process of um, God working in us and through us. And so uh, what a joy it is to be here, uh, though, first of all. Let me just say thanks again. Uh, it's been a great weekend. I was able to spend time with some of you over dinner last night and then coffee this morning. And then uh, uh, even before that, a few days ago, some of you very generously took me to play golf. And um, man, I, I just was so humbled and um, it was such a great reminder of my weakness. Uh, which is a really good way to come into a missions weekend and feeling dependent. Uh, but it was a really fun time for me of fellowship as well. So just thank you. And whenever I come here, I just feel so uh, welcomed. I feel like a part of this community, even though I, I live far away. And as a ministry partner, um, I just want to thank you so, so much. And you guys do so much in terms of ministry partners and, and just seeing all of the different groups and, and individuals you support and pray for. Um, as one of those people, let me just say uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I know after this, there's a time as well if you want to meet personally and talk a little bit more. And, and my son, uh, who is a freshman at University of Tennessee, is going to be Zoomed in to talk to the kids um, as well. And I, I'm curious as to what he's going to say. I wish I could be there for that. Um, but let me just, you know, by way of introduction, tell you a little bit about uh, church planting from my perspective, and, and then let's look at the scripture and talk about it 
uh, and I, I hope my perspective lines up with God's perspective. Um, so we lived in, uh, we, we moved to Prague in, in 2005. We came from a church planting church in Charlotte, where I went to seminary. They had planted a couple of churches in, in Charlotte, and then they wanted to look internationally. And so uh, my wife and I were feeling called to, to do this, and so we uh, took a scouting trip and visited a number of different cities in Europe. And when we got to Prague, we felt like the Lord might be calling us there to start uh, an international church. And so our, our sending church helped us confirm that decision through a couple of short-term trips to go with us and to pray with us and pray over the city. Uh, and, and the church left saying, well, if Phil and Shannon don't do this, we're going to find someone else to go do this. Uh, it, it, it was such a part of uh, God really laid it on the heart of the church to send us. And so we went with a small team of people, and I'll talk about them in just a second uh, later, to plant an international church. And so we left in 2005 with two kids, ages uh, two and six months old. Um, it's a little kind of crazy. And uh, we now have three kids. And we started Faith Community Church in 2007. Uh, we uh, started with a Bible study in our home and then formed this international church. And then 10 years later, so 2017, uh, we planted uh, a church a different kind of church, a bilingual church in another part of the city. So we sent um, 20 people from our church to go launch this bilingual church, including uh, the assistant pastor and his family. And I might talk about them later uh, as well. Um, so that's, that's kind of my experience with church planting. And like James said uh, earlier when he very well described it, it really is simply just church expansion, just like starting a new church uh, from, from scratch my non-Christian friends uh, in, in Prague, when I try to describe it, they're like, is it like a franchise? And, and I'm like, well, kind of, I guess, but uh, you know, we're not really like, competing with each other, we're working together. So it's, it's, it's a little countercultural, um, and it's countercultural in a lot of ways, but what is true uh, about the gospel is the gospel is also fairly countercultural. And so what I wanna do is take time, look at our passage, and, and see how church planting is a biblical concept that is part of the, the rhythm of uh, breathing. If you were here last week and heard uh, Eric introduce this series, you, you, talk, you talked about how the, the rhythm of the Christian life is one of inhaling and exhaling, inhaling and exhaling. And, and I believe church planting, starting new churches, is part of that exhaling experience. So let's look. We're gonna look today at uh, Acts chapter 17, verses one through nine. Uh, you have this in your bulletin. Now, when they, that's Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, 
These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray one more time. Lord, thank you uh, so much for the, the example of the saints who have gone before us on uh, as we think of All, All Saints Day and celebrating uh, those who have gone before us. Of course, we think of the ways that you have used uh, people like Paul. And so we thank you for his example. We thank you for um, his example of setting up new churches and how you work in and through your church. And we thank you that you love the church, that it is your bride. Um, so help us to honor and glorify uh, you as we celebrate the bride of Christ today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this is the second of the three sermons in this series called A Going Church. Last week, Eric talked about uh, going in word. Next week is going to be uh, going in deed. And I, th I love how this sermon is kind of sandwiched between those two ideas, uh, going in word and going in deed, because the, the church should be the corporate expression of our faith that is based on the word of Jesus and doing the work of Jesus. So uh, last week, Eric preached from 1 Thessalonians, and next week, uh, the passage is also going to be from 1 Thessalonians. Uh, but this week, we're going to look at uh, Acts, at Luke's description of Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. So the, the letter to the Thessalonians is based on this experience of him establishing this church. And when you put the letter, 1 Thessalonians, together with Acts 17 that we're looking at today, you get this really beautiful, full picture of an, an urban church plant dedicated to the gospel, facing challenges, and witnessing to Christ. And so what I hope we hear today is that the gospel empowers us to seek God's glory through planting churches. So first, church planting is a gospel strategy, and it was a gospel strategy from the beginning. This description in our passage of what Paul is doing was his church planting strategy. And a lot of what he did 2,000 years ago is, is actually still transferable to us today. So for context, this passage is around the year, it's happening around the year 50 AD. This is part of Paul's second missionary journey, and he's traveling from Philippi through eastern Macedonia, and he comes to this capital city, Thessalonica, which was a strategic city for its location. It was on the coast. Uh, it was a relatively diverse population, including a lot of Jews. And so, as usual for Paul, he goes to this capital city and he starts by going to people that he would naturally relate to. So he goes to the synagogue and he meets with them. And in verses 2 and 3, it says that he reasoned with them, that he was explaining, that he was proving that Jesus is the Christ. It says he was there for three, three weeks, three Sabbaths. And the, the whole message could be summarized in verse 3 where he says, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And typical for Paul, this message generated a lot of different reactions. Uh, a few, it says a few Jews were persuaded and some Greeks and some women. And, and that's remarkable. That's, I don't want us to skip over that 
uh, relatively short phrase and, and verse there. Let's not ignore that because you can already see from the beginning that this message, this gospel message is already reaching across racial, demographic, and, and gender barriers in society. And this is in the year 50. So the message in Paul's letter to Thessalonians, when you kind of refer back to that, it, it also helps us see that he didn't just spend three weeks there uh, in the synagogue. It gives us the impression that he was working with these Greeks, these Gentiles, for a, a longer time. And soon after leaving, uh, for the reasons we're going to get to in a second, he sent Timothy back to them to sort of check on them, see how this new community of believers is doing, and then return to Paul and report back to him. And so this is Paul's strategy. If you read through the book of Acts, this is what he does. And it's really uh, not just his strategy, it's a, a gospel strategy, I would argue, from the very beginning, rooted in Christ's command, it really his last command he gave before his ascension, and it's called the Great Commission. If you are familiar with missions-related passages or uh, Jesus's commands that tell us to go, they're really rooted in this Great Commission from Matthew 28, uh, near the end, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Great missions-minded passage with just two real simple commands, go make disciples. And within making disciples, he says baptizing and teaching. And so we, we can easily argue that he is saying, make disciples, baptize them, form communities of believers, uh, do this for the sake of my church, his, his ecclesia, his community, his church. And so this is why we're talking about going in the context of church planting, not going just in missions or going just in outreach, which are also very good, very biblical concepts. But today specifically, we're talking about church planting because this is how Paul saw his mission. This is how he saw his outreach strategy, his method was to evangelize with the goal of establishing churches in places he went. And that has not changed. That is still the strategy, the, the, uh, the goal of the Church of Christ today. Um, this is a PCA church. I imagine you guys uh, quote Tim Keller quite a lot here. I, um, I do too. That's a good thing. And Tim Keller is really seen, he was really seen as the modern uh, American expert on global church planting. And he has a couple of great quotes. Uh, let me just read part of uh, one of these quotes where he says, the, the vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for the numerical growth of the body of Christ in a city. And there's lots of statistics to back this up. Uh, if you want to see new believers, then we need to see new churches planted globally. So the fact that you are now talking about this as a church uh, is so exciting to me. I know you, you, you haven't just talked about it today, but to hear it emphasized today is really exciting uh, for, for me to hear. Now how you do that uh, looks different depending on your resources and your context. Uh, so let me just give you a few examples. I, I work for a mission organization called Surge, and as part of my 
role um, overseeing and uh, sort of specializing in church planting, let me just describe a few of the different ways that we do it in the different contexts. And so we started, uh, like I said, an international church, and then we planted a bilingual church in Europe. We also do house churches, uh, primarily in East Asia for secure locations. We send experienced pastors or theologians to places to mentor, encourage, and coach national church planters. We, have, we call that facilitative church planting. We do that a lot in Europe and Central America. Uh, Central America. We uh, do training and teaching of African pastors in their context, primarily through um, oral structure. It's called Bible storying. And so we we use their context of a predominantly oral nature of teaching to help them, help these pastors learn how to effectively communicate orally the stories of the Bible. Uh, my friend does this and he, it's fascinating. Uh, we work with unreached people groups in places that are safe. And then we send those people to their home countries. What do I mean? I have a couple of friends who work in London and they've started uh, churches in primarily South Asian contexts. So one of my friends started a, a church for the Gujarati Indian population in London. And uh, he couldn't do that if he had been in India, but he was able to do that in London. And so now this church in London, full of these former Hindus, uh, now send mission trips from London back to India to evangelize their own people. So working with nationals and then traveling to secure locations to help them grow in their church. Uh, and, and lastly, we also plant new churches in partnership with locals. And we do that in Central America, Europe, and Japan. So there's just, those are just a few examples of the, the strategies that are out there. And when it comes time for you all to think about what kind of strategy do we want to employ as a church when it comes time, if we decide to plant out of this church, out of this community, you will have to decide what is the, the, the right way or an effective way or what does God want us to do? What is his strategy for us to do it uh, for us? So it's a biblical strategy. Secondly, uh, church planting is always challenging. Uh, here, it's kind of obvious where that challenge comes in. It's, it's in the form of real opposition. Uh, it's quite obvious, in fact, the second half of the whole passage is about the opposition that Paul and Silas faced. And let me just reread verse five. The Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And there's just as much time in this passage looking at the opposition as looking at Paul's strategy. And I, I love this about the book of Acts because Acts never um, pretends to be a sort of recruiting brochure for church planting. Uh, it's, it, it, it wouldn't be a very effective one. It doesn't sugarcoat anything at all. There's no inflation of numbers or uh, dramatization of how wonderful or glori glorious it is to be a church planter. Um, it's, it's the real story here. Um, it's just plain and simple. Luke is saying, yeah, we were opposed and persecuted and forced to leave. But the whole time, in the, in the story of Acts, you get this sense that it's worth it. You get this clear sense that what Paul and his companions are doing, even despite the opposition and the challenges they face, 
is worth it. And he says it's worth all of this risk for the sake of the gospel. Uh, He says this specifically in, in another letter, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22 and 23, Paul said, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And so church planting will always have its set of challenges. Of course, not necessarily like Paul's, but maybe. But those challenges will always be uh, worth it for the sake of the gospel. And we have to continually remind ourselves that it's worth it, and it's worth it. In our context in Central Europe, it's not real, really religious persecution as it is uh, religious apathy. Uh, and if, if you've heard me before, I've talked about this, uh, but coming from the South, I, you know, I knew that this was going to happen, but it was still very eye-opening to get to a, a beautiful European city with a lot of amazing church architecture and realize how spiritually dry it was. And not just spiritually dry, but spiritually apathetic. Um, you know, I knew I was going to a post-Christian land, but then someone told me it's actually not post-Christian, it's post-atheist. What does that mean? Well, for a society to be post-atheist, the, the first time I heard this, by the way, was from a German pastor, uh, and he said, a post-atheist is someone for whom religious faith is not even relevant enough to reject it. In other words, it's not a category that people would even think about to decide, oh, I don't agree, I reject that, I'm an atheist. They, they don't even know, um, they've never thought about spiritual matters or about faith. And so I, I like to say that I'm usually a conversation killer uh, when I'm there because someone asks, oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And then they walk away. They, <laughs> they, have, no, they have no follow-up question uh, to that. Of course, that doesn't happen every time, but I, I'm used to that reaction. Um, of course, uh, some of them do sort of pry into that and, and, and ask, what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> but it is uh, a normal thing for me to just kind of be the guy who kills the, the buzz in the room, but say I'm, I'm a pastor for a church. And, and not because they're antagonistic, but because they're just unaware. And so that's our, that's our contextual challenge. And every church planting situation is, is going to face their own set of unique challenges. Um, so for us, it's not necessarily to make logical points about why Christianity is, is right and true, but it's, it's just simply to fight against apathy, which is so prevalent in Central Europe, and then to find language that's relevant and relatable. So whenever you get to that point where you're ready to plant that church, just know it will be hard and it will be worth it. And this really gets to the, the final point as to uh, why it's worth it, is because church planting is rooted in something Eric said last week. Church planting is rooted in our belovedness. He talked about this. How our belovedness is what helps us breathe out. As we inhale who we are in Christ, we are able to exhale 
and to go. But we have to inhale first to do that. We see that here in this passage in a really surprising way. And it's actually in the second half, in the accusations that are made from the people, the very people who are opposing Paul. Look one more time at the end of verse 6 and 7 from their accusers. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Okay, first notice there's impact so the, the message that Paul and his companions have been preaching is understandable. Like, they're getting it right, but they don't like it. But what's amazing is that the, these accusers are actually kind of sharing the gospel message at the same time that they're making these claims. He says they've turned the world upside down. They're disrupting the order of things. Paul would have been like, yep, That's exactly right. We are guilty. (laughs) He he said, they're they're saying that there's another king besides Caesar. They're saying that Jesus is their king. Yes, guilty as charged. Absolutely. Isn't that incredible? The very accusers are the ones who are sharing this gospel message. But this message that Paul has, that he's sharing, that is generating all of these different reactions, ultimately comes from knowing that Jesus is, is the one who came to turn the world upside down. That Jesus is the one who is Paul's king, and Paul is his beloved. And and this is why it's worth it. it. This is why it's worth the challenges that are faced. This is why it's worth planting churches. Let me finish the rest of that Keller quote, because there is more to it. You heard me say this bit. The vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for, number one, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in a city, and number two, the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in a city. Nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, growing megachurches, congregational consulting, nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. We plant churches because we want to continually renew the whole body of Christ. So, when it's time for your elders to come to you and and say, we're ready to plant a church, you, you have a responsibility to respond in some way. And your response can be, yes, I'm, I'm called to go. Or your response can be, I'm called to stay. And, and either way, you're called. You're, you're going to be called into this in some way. And if you're called to stay, then I, I guarantee you, you will be renewed. We have seen that and experienced that for ourselves. In the process of church planting, it was not easy. We sent some great people. I thought in my mind, for some reason, I was like, okay, my friends will stay, and the people who are maybe a little bit on the difficult side will go to start the new church. I know there's no difficult people in this church, but we had a few, and I was thinking, okay, maybe, maybe those will be the ones to go. No, my friends One of my best friends felt called to go and be part of the new church. And it took me a while 
but eventually I got to the place where I said, it's worth it. For the sake of the gospel, this church planting is not for the sake of my friendship with him. It's not for the sake of our community, it's for the sake of the gospel. And so that was hard. And when we left Charlotte to originally move to Prague, I mentioned our our team of, of five, and it was my wife and myself, the conversation killers, and then we had three friends who all were transferred, either transferred by their employer to move to Prague or quit their job at Bank of America in Charlotte and all the benefits to come to Prague and open up hotels and hostels. So they were called into vocation as ministry. And, and that's another option. And at times they were like, you know what, I don't know if, I don't know if we can do this. Like we're not seminary trained, we're not um, super evangelistic. Um, I don't know if we, can, if we can do this. I don't know if, if we will help. And, and my response to them is what I would say to you if you ever feel something like that. No, you're, you're exactly who we need. You're more qualified than I am in some ways because I'm the professional Christian and, and you are the, the normal Christian who can answer that question and be relatable to people. And this is who we need to help us start this church in this new community. So we call that tent-making missions based on Paul's uh, profession of actually making tents and making money to receive that to support his ministry. So they came to Prague and 18 years later, they, uh, are, one, one guy left his job, transferred again, uh, transferred him again, and the, uh, our dear friends are still there in Prague and run six different properties, hotels and hostels in Prague and still come to the church, and, and that's their ministry. And it has opened doors that we wouldn't have been able to walk through if they hadn't been there. Ukrainian refugees. We were able to house Ukrainian refugees in their hotels and hostels. That became uh, one of our major ministry aspects. I've shared that with you before. They stayed in their hotels and hostels, and we were able to help raise money to enable them to do that. That's, that's how God uses people's callings into ministry outside of the box. This is, this is kind of where I want to leave you and, 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 and land, and again, I'm happy to talk more Uh, after the service today. But what we had to do as a group, as an initial team, and what we continue to have to do is remind ourselves and each other of who we are in Christ. And that it is, for the sake of the gospel, it is worth it. It's not hard, it's not comfortable, but it is worth it. And, And you, City Church, I love this, you are a broken people loved by God, restored by Christ, sent out to tell others. And that sequence is ultimately important, and you will have to come back to that over and over and over again, regardless of what your outreach and your ministry to this wonderful city of Richmond and and across the world looks like. Broken people loved by God. That's who you are restored, and sent out. Let's celebrate that identity now as we receive from the Lord himself in taking 
taking the elements of the Lord's, the Lord's table. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you are worth it. Forgive us when we don't necessarily feel that or communicate that in our thoughts and in our actions. Uh, but Lord, we want to affirm that now, that you have called us, that you have restored our brokenness. And it, it, it doesn't mean that everything is easy or uh, wonderful now but it does mean that we have a hope that goes beyond this world, that wherever we live and whatever circumstances we find ourselves, that we are citizens of another world and we have a identity and a citizenship that cannot be taken from us. And so we thank you for that security. Thank you for your healing power through Christ. Lord, will you help us take that message to all places where, where you send us, whether that's down the street, whether that's across town, or in a new city, or in a new country. Help us, Lord, to rest in our belovedness. Thank you that you love us as the bride of Christ. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.